Welcome to Cogerence Talks, a podcast for those interested in learning about software craftsmanship and all things related to technology and agile. We share our conversations on software engineering and future technologies to provide you with exclusive insights on how to build a successful career as a developer and craft with heart. I'm Kirsten and I'm the Regional Director for UK North here at Cogerence. Today I'll be joined by Simon, who invited a special guest for this episode. Simon, would you like to introduce yourself and uh, tell us more about uh, today's guest? Yep, thanks, Kirsten. So I'm Simon Shaw, and I'm an engagement manager here at Cogerence. I read uh, Sooner, Safer, Happier a couple of years ago, joined the online community and could see that John and the other contributors were responding to people that read the book. And that just occurred to me that it'd be great to have him on one of our Cogerence podcasts. So reached out to him a, a few weeks ago when he was good enough to spend some time with us today. Thanks, Simon, for that introduction. Let's now bring John into the conversation. So, um, John, uh, would you like to um, tell us a little bit more about your journey and why you decided to set up the Sooner, Safer, Happier community? Yeah, so uh, I've been a, an Agile and Lean practitioner since the early 1990s, roughly seven years before the Agile Manifesto. It was called Lightweight Processes at the time. And for me, this is just how I've always worked. Um, I'm a business technologist by background, um, started out on the trading floor, um, and I've kind of always been in a multidisciplinary team with a with a fast feedback loop. So during the course of my career, as I've taken on more responsibility, I've taken teams on the journey from traditional big batch waterfall ways of working to better ways of working, more sensible ways of working, multidisciplinary teams, minimizing time to value and learning. and uh, And then at one point I was leading ways of working across Barclays Bank globally, uh, 80,000 people in 40 countries. And uh, then I went on to what I'm doing now, which is helping organizations across industry sectors. And I wrote a book called Sooner, Safer, Happier, along with some co-authors, where we shared the kind of the common patterns and anti-patterns around business agility. Um, and what are your your proudest achievements in, in relation to the community that's sprung up around that book? A couple of things immediately spring to mind on that. Um, so the first one is that I'm really pleased to say that in terms of helping organisations improve their ways of working, at no point has it ever involved a redundancy round. Some companies will lay off tens of thousands of people and then they'll roll out agile as a almost like as a, don't worry, it'll all be fine you know we can we can let a quarter of the workforce go but because everybody else is now adopting agile ways of working we'll still have the same productivity that we had before and i i don't subscribe to that view i also don't subscribe to the view that there are some people who can't learn you know well, they don't have the right skill sets surely we have to let them go and we have to hire the mythical unicorns never works and people can unlearn people can relearn so I so that's something I'm proud of. Um, I think the other thing, the second thought that springs to mind is we're not about frameworks. It's not about agile for the sake of agile, lean for the sake of lean, DevOps for the sake of DevOps. It's about outcomes and using your brain with many tools in the toolbox, figuratively speaking, to figure out how best to achieve those outcomes. Um, in some cases, it might be smaller waterfalls because of historical baggage and a culture of fear that's okay i love that analogy of a toolbox i've used that often myself um, and i our consultants at, at cogerence i feel 
um, our, our experts with a, a range of, uh, of tools and techniques at their disposal and where their expertise comes in is, is how to assess the situation and, and understand the, the pros and cons of each, each technique and, and what to apply um, to, uh, you know, uh, achieve the desired outcome. Um, I'll bring in Simon at this point. Simon, you're a you're a member of the of the community um, on Slack. What's what encouraged you to join, and, and what have you learnt um, or um, got from from being part of that community? Yeah, thanks, Kirsten. Well, I think I mean when when I read the book, so I, I came across the book through um, a Tech Leads Northwest meetup. You know, I found it not only a good read, but you know, really practical, very digestible. There's a lot of stuff that you know, resonated with me and we'll, we'll touch up upon some of that. But but then to be able to join the, you know, Slack community and just really, I guess, look at some of the questions and issues raised by practitioners, you know, all across the world, different organizations. And then it was just brilliant to be able to see contributions from John and the other, the other contributors to the book actually respond, you know, in situ and, and responding to people's kind of questions or or providing feedback and, and, and advice and and I, that, that really was really great i think one of the things that, that that struck me most initially was the title i thought it was quite an unusual title better value sooner safer happier as i read the book one of the things that started to emerge was that the importance of balance and well from your perspective how important is it to try and balance those 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 outcomes yeah it's very important um what we've, we've seen in the state of devops report Mediocre performers have reduced their lead time, their time to value. However, quality has got worse and happiness mm -hmm. has got worse. So if you're not measuring quality and happiness as well as time to value, you'll have the law of unintended consequences. You might have working people harder rather than smarter, rather than improving the system of work or improving the cultural behavioral norms. Instead, it's just get this stuff done quicker. Quality takes a hit and happiness takes a hit. Um, so it's very important that the outcomes are balanced um, and that definitely resonates with us at Cogerance because we have a, um, a very strong emphasis on on quality um, in terms of our software engineering approaches and um, and also in, in terms of team happiness it's, it's not just about delivering a project at, at the expense of the uh, the human beings who are involved um, but also as a consultancy firm for us our people are our assets um, uh, they're the product that we are selling to our clients, so it's it's even more important um, that we we keep them happy and motivated and performing. So Simon's picked out some uh, some of the the patterns and anti patterns that you go through in the book um, in terms of the ones he thinks um, might be of particular interest to the audience we had have for this podcast. Um, so I'll probably um, start with the uh, achieve big through small. Um, um, from your perspective, um, what does that mean for organisations? What that means is think big, start small, learn fast. It means don't do a big bang, don't big bang change, don't apply a waterfall big batch mindset to the topic of improving ways of working, rather apply agility to agility. Think big, start small, learn fast. Smaller is faster, bigger is slower. Sometimes I hear people in organisations uh, say and have a belief that we don't have time, we need to go big. My personal philosophy and view is we don't have time to go big. It's it's too risky. It'll take too long. Um, and you know, there's something which is in the public domain. ANZ Bank in Australia, um, there was a, 
a recent update in the public domain. There was a, a news item published in August of this year, August 2022, and um, it's not entirely positive. And that was a that was an overnight pivot. That was you leave on Friday, you're a project manager. You start on Monday, you're a product owner or a scrum master. Everyone had to reapply for their jobs, as I understand it. Uh, nine months of job insecurity from speaking to somebody who was working there. It ain't going to happen. Um, the pace of change is determined by the speed of unlearning. You cannot force the pace of change. So even if you think you're doing a big bang, you're not doing a big bang. You're creating chaos and risk. Because the pace of change, the speed of unlearning, will just take as long as it takes. And you can't force that. All you can do is encourage it. And you have to read the tea leaves. So um, the best way to, um, if you if there is a desire to encourage the pace of change, um, because the pace of change is determined by the speed of unlearning, the speed of unlearning is determined by the amount of psychological safety. So if you want to go faster, you have to ramp up psychological safety. What is psychological safety? It's an absence of fear. So what this all boils down to, this is really simple, change, changing how you do what you do, changing change, it all boils down to incentive and threat. Maximize incentive, minimize threat. Neuroscience, evolution, our survival. The threat response is twice as strong as the reward response. So you have to really emphasize the incentive and really minimize the threat. And then you'll go fast. Removing that fear of failure. Mm. Uh, because and you will fail. And you will fail. Yeah. It's I was exactly, just going to it's say... Remove, we... It's removed and it's not failure, it's learning. Um, people will fail and will feel fear. Exactly. So it's minimizing the fear. But you still learn from failure. There's no such thing as a failed experiment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's quite a constant theme throughout the book, isn't it? That and the starting small and learning through experimentation, John, and then applying the that learning and sharing the learning, of course. So that that's that's towards the end of the book, isn't it? I, I suppose just to build a little bit on, on what Kirsten introduced there, I think the other one of the other things that jumped out at me was rather than thinking about how to scale agile, you know, descale the work. And, you know, if you could just expand on that a little bit more, because certainly I've been involved in initiatives and I've actually led initiatives where we've tried to scale agile and unsurprisingly that's proved pretty, yeah. pretty challenging and not wholly successful. So if you could just unpack that a little bit, please. Yeah. So I think there's a difference between scaling agile and increasing your agility. Mm-hmm or broadening the scope of agility. They're two different things. Scaling agile means having more people doing Scrum or synchronized Scrum with an innovation sprint, which used to, you know, which used to be called a, what was it, a hardening sprint, I think, mm. because of the fallacy of treating the future like it's predictable with a deterministic mindset. There are, in my opinion, there are a there are a set of circumstances where applying a kind of a scaled scrum is is a valid is a good pattern and for example building a satellite or if you've got 100 plus people with a low level of agility and a high level of architectural coupling applying a kind of synchronized iteration type approach can be a good pattern however in my experience that's in 1% of the contexts at a large company and applying um you know kind of one approach across the entire company with thousands or tens of thousands of unique contexts is an anti-pattern. So when you think about it, what is increasing agility? It is descaling the work. Um, it's 
you have to descale the work in order to scale agility. What I mean by that is, um, like an anecdote, true story. At this company, there were a hundred people trying to deliver a um, some software which was retail customer facing. And after a year, these hundred people had failed to deliver any value into the hands of anybody taking a traditional big batch waterfall approach. So somebody decided to get another hundred people to also, in parallel, try to build the same product. And another year later, we've now got 200 people who failed to deliver any value into the hands of a retail customer. Yeah, I know, like the definition of stupidity, yeah. you're doing All the same thing. All working incredibly hard, probably, as well. That's All working the, incredibly yeah. hard in their role-based silos. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, the business requirements are probably beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, but they probably took nine months. Yeah. Um, and um, and probably, you know, probably minimal conversation with the end customer, uh, maybe a bit at the beginning. So in that situation, we took five people out of the 200 people. And within three months, those five people had value in the hands of the customer in a production environment. The problem was it wasn't a hundred person problem. <laughs> so, so slapping on a um, uh, scaled agile onto that context is not going to help. And this is what I see a lot of is we've got all these dependencies and these impediments to the flow of value, but then we apply a kind of a, a scaled scrum on top of that. That that itself does not alleviate the impediments. And one of the very well-known scaled agile frameworks has minimal content around breaking dependencies. You know, there's there's content in there about visualizing dependencies, but minimal, minimal body of knowledge in there around breaking dependencies, in my experience, in my view. And that, that interdependency is quite often the biggest area of risk in terms of delivering a project. They are impediments to flow. Dependencies are an impediment to the flow of value. So theory of constraints, <clears throat> identify your biggest impediment, alleviate it. It's the bottleneck. The bottleneck now moves. Repeat. Thanks, John. The uh, the other the other chapter from the book that um, that jumped out to us um, very much aligns with with our thinking at Coherence, um, and that's continuous attention to technical excellence. Uh, do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, and that, in the book, there's a an anti pattern called the agile hollow shell. Um, so this will be where you have a a team, and it, and ideally this is a multidisciplinary team, and I don't just mean an IT multidisciplinary team. I mean a multidisciplinary team. I mean our business. So I mean, you know, product, marketing, sales, depends what industry you're in, plus tech, plus data, you know, plus experience, designers, you know, all of the skills that you need for what you're doing. You know, and I think this is this is the difference between XP, extreme programming, and Scrum. There's nothing in Scrum about technical excellence. So what we see quite often is we see teams not just tech teams, but teams. And, and, and it's kind of, it's it's not not tech, but it's also not tech, if you know what I mean? Like it's age of digital. It's it's mm -hmm. every company is a technology mm -hmm. company. Um, there's very little change that doesn't involve technology, information technology. Um, and so if you're just scrumming away, there's, there's next to nothing in there about technical excellence. Or, or sorry, there is nothing in there about technical excellence. So not surprisingly, you know, tech debt, creeps creeps up um it becomes you know the, the anti-pattern it's a feature factory there's a focus on velocity it's just about faster 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 which is why by the way it's the word sooner 
not faster. It's not about faster. It's about sooner, soonest time to learning, not a feature factory. Um, so hence the importance of, of technical excellence, you know, and there's a lot of good stuff in extreme programming back from the white book, 2001, I think it was, or 2000. Really important, um, go slower to go faster, or you will end up going slower whether you like it or not because of tech debt, process debt, and culture debt. So you have to build in time for that. And what are, what are some of the consequences you've you've witnessed with the organisations you've worked with where there hasn't been adequate focus on on technical excellence and, and managing tech debt? Go slower to go faster, or you will go slower. That, that's the consequence. That's what you know. That's the observed consequences. It takes you know ever longer time to value because it's you know codes unmaintainable. You've got these hacks and workarounds that have been there forever. You've got minimal kind of architectural kind of dividing points, if you like. Um, modularity, componentization can end up with a monolith. There's one, just from a pure technology perspective, there's one monolithic application I inherited in the past, which had about 100 developers on it. And you could actually see the architectural layers from originally it was a spreadsheet and then it was VBA, you know, and and then it was something else and something else and something I can't even remember now. Um, but you could actually see the architectural layers because there'd been minimal um, tech debt. Uh, re, you know, refactoring there'd be minimal refactoring so yeah you just go slower so so it's critically important yeah and actually some of the clients we work with in effect the project we're, we're delivering is is 100 addressing tech debt um because that's been become such a blocker for them yeah um in terms of evolving their products i find using color to visualize it is very is is a good way to do this so uh, yeah, there are four types of stories four types of work new features failure demand risk stories, controls, infosec, data privacy, regulation, and then um, continuous improvement. And continuous improvement includes refactoring and tech debt remediation and process debt remediation and cultural debt remediation. So if you visualize using color, those four types of stories in a cumulative flow diagram, uh, or just a, like a bar chart of you know, stories per week or per two weeks, and you, basically what you're looking for is a balance of the colors. And if all you see is blue, which is like new features, you know that in the future you're going to just you're just going to your point, you're just going to be doing red, which is mm. tech debt remediation. Because it will catch up with you. <laughs> and then you can have a conversation with your your business partners. Um uh, like, do you realize if we just do blue all the time, we're gonna to have to take two months out just to do red? Sure. Yeah, that that um I can kind of see in my mind's eye that um some of those diagrams from the book right now, John. And is it essentially trying to get to a, a, a space where there is, you know, uh, teams can or, or are committing, you know, a certain proportion of time over each period, whether that's a week or, or a sprint to something other than feature delivery? Is it as straightforward as that in a sense to at least break out the cycle of, of, of a feature factory? Yeah, I think so. I think that the, the, you know, the usual answer is it depends and it depends on the mm -hmm. context it depends on the amount of tech debt that exists currently do you like as uh, you know as you were just saying do you need to pay down that tech debt and um and also is it a fast-moving market where actually you know what we want to incur some technical debt intentionally in order to be first to market to capture mm -hmm. the market capture the market share so i what i would say is if you're not in an edge case where either you've got to pay down tech debt or you're deliberately incurring some tech debt and it's it's a bit more how we would want to be in a steady state then yes, in a steady state, what what I would suggest is a is a guiding principle, is that we have a little bit of everything all of the time, 
as a guiding principle. Sure. Yeah, and I think what I'm taking from what you're saying is, you know, that there there will there needs to be a business case for for addressing tech debt, but similarly there needs to be a business case for allowing it to, yeah. to mount up. Um, you know, yeah. taking into account the the risks of doing so. Yeah. So I think my the the final um thing that we'd quite like to talk about is around career paths for software engineers. Um and in the book you mentioned there's sometimes a failure um to provide recognized career paths. Um what are your thoughts in terms of of how employers, um, senior management teams, um, and people managers can can help with that? Um yeah, and quite often what I've observed, especially in the context of large companies is the need to go into people management in order to be promoted as a technical specialist. Yeah, the only way to get promoted is to start managing people. And, you know, some some people, are, that plays to their strengths and other people it doesn't. So in my mind, you know, what, what I'm immediately thinking about is the, is the individual contributor track. And, you know, I know this is, a, this is the case at the likes of Google, and Amazon yeah, and Microsoft, you know, I, I forget the actual letters, but I think, you know, there's an M track and a T track or an M track and an S track. I think it's M and S actually. I think there's an M track for managerial, S for specialist, I think. So, you know, M1, M2, M3, M4, S1, S2, S3, S4. So you can have career progression as an individual contributor. And that, you know, that might be being, so in terms of uh, multidisciplinary teams, you know, and chapters or COEs, you know, you might be leading the the software engineering chapter. You might be leading the software engineering center of excellence. So it might be a community leadership role as opposed to a line management role if you've got multidisciplinary teams, you know, aligned to value streams. Or it could just be being an individual contributor who's very senior. So something that I did in the past was I um, led the rollout of a distinguished engineer program at a large company I worked at because there wasn't a promotion track for technical specialists and this distinguished engineer program you know it's uh, there's a number of organizations that have it uh, quite well established um and that that helps to acknowledge people and helps people to get managing director level in a large company as a technical specialist that's um definitely a position that that resonates with me because i see people who um you know have got into tech because they have a, a, a passion um you know in terms of whatever their best specialist role is. So that could be um, as a software engineer, it could be platform engineering, it could be product, delivery management, whatever. But um, but you're right, quite often as people move up, they take on responsibilities for people. They take on responsibilities um, for, 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 in effect, project management. Um, and those require very different skills, but quite often what we don't actually provide, what we don't actually ask those people, is that something that you want to do, that interests you, that that you feel is a strength? as opposed to exposing weakness, um, but also providing the training and support to enable people to move into those different roles um, and be effective. So um, so for me, it's, it's, I, I think it's also very important to, to give those different career options um, to people because, um, you know, everyone's different in terms of their, their preferences. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Thank you, um, thank you so much, John, for uh, for sharing your thoughts on on um, some of the uh, the content from your book. I'm sure our, our listeners will be uh, will be very interested. And obviously, if you want to find out more, then you can uh, you can dig into the book. Great, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you very much, John. Thanks, John.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to um, to John, who um, is the author of Sooner, Safer, Happier, Anti-Patterns and Patterns for Business Agility. So if you'd like to know more about any of the things that we've discussed in today's episode, um, take a look at his book. In terms of the, I guess, some of the key learnings for me um, or things that resonated, particularly resonated with me, very definitely the emphasis on quality and people. I think a new, um, something that was food for thought for me was um, the idea of not applying the same approach right across an organisation, but actually tailoring your approach within an organisation. As a consultancy firm, we would um, we would customise our approach for each client, but I'm not sure I've seen us um, actually tailor approach to different departments at the same client. And I think finally, for me, um, the emphasis on providing different career path options for people. So for people who want to remain as, as technical specialists and for people who want to branch out into more generic management roles. So those were the key learnings for me. Simon, what about you? Yeah, well, I think what what I took from that, and in fact, what I took from the book is, you know, those those patterns and anti patterns that, that that John refers to, the the hard one, and what I mean mean by that is, you know, the the glean from real industry experience. So it was just great to hear some of that. Um, it's very practical. It's very real experience, and I think what what the book really provides, and and John touched on quite a bit of this, it's just a really good handbook. It is a toolkit, um, but it's also a great read. So that's why I'd recommend it. Practical and accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Two very good qualities. Yeah, but but genuinely, you know, enjoyable as well. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Excellent. Well, thanks, uh, Simon, for recommending that book uh, to to me and uh, and my team. Thanks for joining us today on Cogerance Talks. Be sure to visit our website, cogerance.com, where you can keep up to date with us and the industry. If you found value in this show, please do give us a rating on your preferred platform. Or if you'd like to simply tell a friend about Coherence Talks, that would help us out too. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Bye. Bye.